We are studying Hebrews chapter 7 here on the Radio Bible Course, and we welcome you to our study. Some of you may not have been with us in the past several days, so I'm going to read again the first ten verses of Hebrews chapter 7. For this Melchizedek, king of Salem, priest of the Most High God, who met Abraham as he was returning from the slaughter of the kings and blessed him, to whom also Abraham apportioned a tenth part of all the spoils, was first of all, by the translation of his name, King of Righteousness, and then also King of Salem, which is King of Peace. Without father, without mother, without genealogy, having neither beginning of days nor end of life, but made like the Son of God, he abides a priest perpetually. Now observe how great this man was to whom Abraham, the patriarch, gave a tenth of the choicest spoils. And those indeed of the sons of Levi who received the priest's office have commandment in the law to collect a tenth from the people, that is, from their brethren, although these are descended from Abraham. But the one whose genealogy is not traced from them collected a tenth from Abraham, and blessed the one who had the promises. But without any dispute, the lesser is blessed by the greater. And in this case, mortal men receive tithes, but in that case, one receives them of whom it is witnessed that he lives on. And so to speak, through Abraham, even Levi, who received tithes, paid tithes for he was still in the loins of his father when Melchizedek met him. Our study of this portion of the book of Hebrews continues with Abraham and Melchizedek, but the author's purpose here is not to educate us about those two Old Testament characters. All that is written here is to illustrate someone far more important, Jesus Christ. This discussion of Melchizedek began in chapter 5, verse 6, and again in verse 10 of chapter 5, and again in chapter 6, verse 20. Now in this chapter, chapter 7, verse 3, we are told that Melchizedek was made like the Son of God. And we often think Jesus was like Melchizedek. But remember that Jesus Christ existed before Melchizedek as the eternal God. How do we know that? John 8.58 tells us, when Jesus said before Abraham was, I am. And John 1.1 says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And then later it says, And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. So Jesus Christ preceded Melchizedek, who was a man. So Melchizedek is a type of Christ. He's a human illustration of the one who is both man and God. Now Melchizedek cannot be an early appearance of Jesus Christ because it says he was like the Son of God in respect to what? Not physically, for Jesus had a mother and was associated with a human father. Melchizedek instead illustrates the eternalness of Christ in his priestly ministry. 
In verse 3, the author reminds the readers that the Old Testament gives no genealogy for Melchizedek, which was a requirement of a priest under the law of Moses. And the point he makes is for another kind of priest and a superior one. It is apparent that from the beginning God established both priests and sacrifices long before the law. Melchizedek was one of these, appointed by God and described as righteous, king of righteousness. We saw that in verse 2. But long before him, there was a man named Noah, and you'll read about this in Genesis chapter 8. He built an altar and he sacrificed animals to the Lord after the flood waters receded. Why did he do that? Well, he must have had a revelation from God, but the scripture doesn't record it. Then, even before that time, in the time of Abel, in Genesis chapter 4, we read that Abel offered sacrifices to God. This means that there must have been a revelation that made men aware of God's plan long before the legal requirements were given to the children of Israel in the wilderness. To illustrate the eternal priesthood of Jesus Christ, the author calls attention to the absence of parents' names for Melchizedek, along with no mention of his birth or his death. This is to highlight his eternal character, but Melchizedek must have been born, and he must have died. But the scripture doesn't mention these events. Numbers chapter 20 records Aaron's death, but there is no record of Melchizedek's death. The author highlights the similarities of Christ and Melchizedek in this chapter because he is attempting to teach that Jesus is a radical departure from the priest made under the law and that the ministry of Jesus continues forever. The Levites served the tabernacle up until they were 50 years of age, but nothing is said about the termination of Melchizedek's priesthood. This ancient priest was so great that even the father of all the Jews paid tithes to him, as is discussed in verses 4 through 10. The purpose of this portion of the scripture is to demonstrate that the priests from the tribe of Levi, in a sense, paid tithes to Melchizedek through their ancestor Abraham because they were in his loins figuratively. This kind of reasoning focuses on the superiority of the one who received the tithes. Although Abraham has always been considered as the greatest of the Old Testament characters. And again, the point is to disclose the fact that even in the early days there was a divinely appointed priesthood which was superior to the priesthood of the Jews. Now this is essential to demonstrate that the Old Testament had a superior priest in Melchizedek. If so, then Christ, like him, is also superior to priests under the law, and there were plenty of them around. If Abraham honored Melchizedek, these Hebrews who are getting this Hebrew epistle should also honor Christ. 
Now, I alluded yesterday to the fact that there are people who believe that because Abraham paid tithes to Melchizedek, that this supports the practice of giving one-tenth of one's income to the Lord. Now, there is not much argument that the law of Moses demanded tithes of the Jews, but no one else, of course, because no one else had the law. This is a matter of the law of Moses. And in verse 5 of chapter 7, it says, The descendants of Levi who received the priestly office have a commandment in the law to take tithes. This wasn't optional. It was demanded by the law. And if a man didn't do it, he was robbing God. But this has nothing to do with Christianity. And people who tithe today don't seem to even understand what the Old Testament demanded in the way of a tithe. First of all, according to Deuteronomy chapter 12, 14, and 15, the Jew held an annual tithe feast where he and all his family celebrated the harvest blessing and shared it with the Levites. And at that tithe feast, they drank strong drink and wine. Somehow, people don't want to do that today when they tithe. This was a practice of tithing back there in Judaism. Now, would you hold a tithe feast whenever you got a pay raise? Well, they did, essentially. Now, there was another tithe given every third year, and you'll find that in Deuteronomy 14.28. It was for the benefit of widows, orphans, travelers, and Levites. It was a kind of a welfare program. And we, today, when we pay income tax, we support welfare and Medicaid. So we do something very similar, but we do it by income tax, not by tithing. Third, a tithe was also levied for the maintenance of the Levites, who were given no territory in the promised land, and they were to be supported by others for their religious service in connection with the tabernacle. The tithe was their inheritance from the Lord. Now, does any of this apply to Christians? Of course not. It was only for Jews, established by a law which had been done away by God. We're going to see that later in this chapter. Christians are not under the law, given only to a family of people in a previous age. When the believer wants direction for giving... He often goes to the Old Testament, and I say, that is patently a wrong procedure, and it reveals how confused we are about the Bible. The Old Testament deals with another covenant, another age, a different administration, and a special people who are physical descendants of Abraham and who have an earthly destiny. We are different as Christians. Now, if we understood the Bible, we wouldn't even consider turning to the Old Testament on this subject to find out how we ought to give. We instead would place ourselves in the proper age, under the New Covenant, under a different administration of God, and ask, what do the letters to the churches teach New Covenant believers about giving? And one immediate answer would be that we should not look for a law. The New Testament is not a law book. Instead of telling us what we must do, it tells us what we can do for Christ. 
The underlying principle of behavior in the New Testament is grace, not law. Grace means you don't owe anything, else grace would no longer be grace. But grace does permit you to volunteer whatever you desire. Let no one establish a rule of giving for you. Stand up for your liberty. Don't stand for law. Abraham gave a tithe, but he didn't tell his servants in Genesis 14 to give a tithe, even though he was convinced that Melchizedek was appointed by God. Mark it. Whenever we decide on a law for giving, we inevitably want others to adopt a similar law. Legalism is contagious. Watch out for it. And who would want to tithe without getting everyone else to tithe? And who would want to tithe if you didn't get credit for it in the eyes of other people? The law does that to people. Now, if we aren't under Moses' law of tithing, what about the principle of tithing before the law in the case of Abraham? We'll discuss that later also. But in closing, let me say that the apostles encourage believers to give to the poor, but nothing was said about tithing, and I want to explore this topic more fully Monday, and I hope you'll join me here. All of these teachings on the book of Hebrews are available for your purchase on cassette tape. Write today and ask for our brochure on teaching tapes. It will tell you how to order. Until next week, this is Nick Calabota reminding you that the word gospel means good news. Our address is Radio Bible Courses, Post Office Box 14916, Baton Rouge, Louisiana, 70898. The website is rbcword.org.